0: to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 48, Godzilla from 1954. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. And like I said, we are Talking Godzilla from 1954. So before I introduce my amazing co-hosts on this episode. Let's check out the trailer.
1: Godzilla, King of the Monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, it's alive, a gigantic beast, dotting the earth, crushing all before it, in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible Titan of Terror. Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet flames cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? Or the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You may wish to deny it but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Verne, More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome, incredible, unbelievable. A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Savage action. Spectacular thrills. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension, gripping beyond compare, astounding beyond belief, the mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters.
0: Okay, we are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined, once again, by the lethal one himself, Mr. Liam Jones. How the devil are you, sir?
2: I'm uh, not too bad,
0: how are you? I'm all right. And I love that we keep up the pretense that we haven't had a conversation before we started recording. <laughs> In keeping with tradition.
2: They don't have to know that.
0: <laughs> no oh, oh am I record ah oh, shit right. okay. <laughs> so we are talking, of course, one of you know one of your all time favorite films, of course, we're talking Godzilla from nineteen ninety eight directed by Mr. Roland Emmerich.
2: I could leave this podcast, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. I could hang up right <laughs> now. Yes, with that act, that man of
2: action, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> that, is, that, that film is perplexing. Yeah, it's <laughs> shit, that's this. what it is. It <laughs> it's got one saving grace for me. What's that? It ends well and that. Uh, <laughs> it's Jean no, because he's he's absolutely entertaining in that because he just looks like he's just just trying to enjoy himself. Yes, and just counting he's, the money. You can clearly tell he's he's not really taking any of it seriously. No, no, and he's just looking to just sort of he's just going, "I'm being paid to do this. I'm going to have a laugh."
0: Yeah, and of course, you know anything that has a Jamiroquai
2: uh track, yeah, that was that was one. It was. I, my, we've got the soundtrack here for some reason. My dad picked it up back, you know, when it first came out. <laughs> And it's got some, the track listing is strange. That weird Puff Daddy. Yeah. That was one of the most (laughs) strangest things I've ever seen in my life. And the music video for it is worth watching. Just watching Puff Daddy singing at Godzilla. Yeah. Which is a sight in, you know, which is just, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. It It was part of that sort of late period of, the end of the movie songs. Yes. Which you don't really get anymore. You know, it's one of the last of that sort of era. Yeah. I think the early 2000s is when we sort of stopped seeing the, the classic movie song. Yes. Yes, I think or so. Or the tie-in song, which most of the time didn't have much to do with the actual film itself, <laughs> but is it always sold along with me, was associated with it.
0: Yeah. Now, before I have to pour bleach into my eyes, but to erase that memory, we, of course, are talking Godzilla or mm-hmm. Gojira. Um, but we are talking Godzilla from nineteen fifty four. Going back to the original, yes. Directed Six, by... sixty five years old. No, sixty five years. Eesh. seems like yesterday. I don't know why I am saying that. I wasn't born. Um, yeah, it was
2: <laughs> In fact, um, in a few weeks' time, it will be the anniversary, October twenty seventh, nineteen fifty four. See, see, We're br- what are we bringing you? What are we? What does this show bring you?
0: Tie ins. Jamiroquai soundtracks, <laughs> energy drink fueled rambling. <laughs> so, of course, Gojira uh, 1954 was directed by Ishihara Honda. Um, of course, it was produced by uh, Tobayuku Tanaka. Um, it starred... It's got, a, it's got a really... I've forgotten how
2: good a, task, a cast it is. I'd well, the big standout is Takashi Shimura, who had already, yes. the same year, did Seven Samurai. So he was a. He already was one of the big names in post war Japanese cinema.
0: Yes, and he's superb in this.
2: I mean, he's mm. superb in pretty much everything years in. Mm. I mean, well, he mid- was Kurosawa's favourite actor, pretty much. Out of all of the yes. actors Kurosawa worked with, he sort of said that he was his. I know a lot of people associate to Mifune with um, Kurosawa. Yes. Even though they only did about seven films together. Yes. With Shimura, he sort of said he was the actor who he sort of got the most out of and he got the best out of him. Yes,
0: yes. Of course, this also starred um, Akira Takarada, uh, Momoko Koyuchi, uh Akihiro Hirata, um, so I haven't done too pretty bad. I've done alright on that. I think I've mm-hmm. done okay with the names. My Japanese pronunciation is much better than anything else, possibly even mm. my English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now this of course was uh, the production company behind this is the
2: legendary Toho Studios. Or well, one of the big of the of the uh, in Japan. I think the two big studios, the Toho and Nikatsu, were the other one. Yes, yes. They were sort of the two big, two of the big rivals at the time. Yes, and I mean... I in, think in, Toho is probably the biggest studio out there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, what's interesting, they obviously, they made, uh pretty much almost back-to-back, they made Godzilla and Seven Samurai almost back-to-back mm. with each other, and it nearly bankrupted the studio. And
2: it nearly is this bankrupted strange... Them. Oh, both films are seen as uh, two of the greatest Japanese films ever made. Yes, and Seven Samurai, if I remember correctly, when the BFI did their list of hundred greatest films yes. ever made, Seven Samurai is in the top five. I mean, Seven Samurai is—you know—I think that, could oh. be, that
0: that's multiple podcasts on its own.
2: That revolutionized cinema. It revolution, Mill. Well, Well, remember, pretty much um, the modern action film owes everything to Seven Samurai, I would say. Yes, yes. Because everyone, you know, it's been ripped off by everyone. But at this point, you know, Magnificent Seven, Bug Life has done it. Everyone has done (laughs) it. Battle Beyond the
0: Stars by Roger Corman.
2: It's one of those films which just lends itself so well. And you say, um, you know, Kurosawa massive influence on filmmaking, you know, but also you can say you know, Godzilla, it's influence on filmmaking is massive as well.
0: Well, I mean this, you know, people talk about Rodan and Mothra and they go into the, you know, the people automatically think of the sort of the kaiju, um, hmm. the, the kaiju movie as being a little bit campy, a little bit silly hmm. guys in rubber suits. Um, yeah. You know, knocking over toy buildings. Yes. Um, but this is a deadly, deadly serious film, um, and let's not forget this is a film that really, you know, is talking about the, the omnipresent threat of nuclear destruction
2: from a country which experienced it directly. Yes, and not that long—nine years. Not yes. This is a. This is well. Probably get into how the film was made or where the sort of concept came from. Yeah. Because apparently, I was just doing some research earlier, and it came almost by accident, the film. Right. The sort of, the film came almost by accident, because what it was, Toho were planning to produce a film in Indonesia. Okay. Uh, they were planning a Japanese and Indian co-production called, as um, I said, Aiko no Kagini, right. In the Shadow of Glory. right? And the idea was, it was a film set in the aftermath of the Japanese occupation of Indonesia. However, due to the sort of, you know, there was a very anti-Japanese sentiment in Indonesia, as there was in a lot of Asia at the time. Yes. And still to this day, you know, because there's still, it's still very much an open wound in parts of Asia. Yes. Especially, the you know, a lot of the Japanese government has a sort of policy of almost not acknowledging any sort of wrongdoing. So there's yes. that. So in Indonesia, there was this big open wound. So through political pressure, the production was... Cancelled. You know, the Indonesian government had more or less pressured it not to be made. Yeah, yeah. So, as a result of that, the Japanese filmmakers were denied visas to go to you know to go into Indonesia. Mm. So the um, the producer Tomiyuki Yuki Tanaka he flew to Jakarta to renegotiate with the Indonesians, mm. but it was unsuccessful. And yeah. while flying back to Japan, he conceived of an idea of a, a giant monster film, which was partially inspired by Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which came out a year before. Yes. But also, based on a real incident, on the, on the, let look, the Daigo Fukuryu Maru incident. Right. In which a group of Japanese fishermen were more or less caught in the fallout of a, of a thermonuclear weapons test at Bikini Atoll. Right, yes, yes. And pretty much the entire crew of this ship were contaminated and, you know, over time died.
0: Well, or, you know, being
2: near or around a hmm. nuclear explosion will do that to you. Well, it's hydrogen bombs. Suppose, yeah. it? And apparently these are the first casualties of the hydrogen bomb. These are the first people ever to, you know, to be killed by the hydrogen bomb. And pretty much the opening of the film is pretty much what happens here. You know, it starts yes, off with yes. a freighter being hit, being attacked. And, and survivors have all got, you know, radiation sickness. And that scene, actually,
0: um, with, you know, that, that fishing vessel just essentially just disappearing yeah. Um, can you know, and, and people sort of will, you know, kind of look back and, and I think so, you know, people will get a bit sniffy as black and white and maybe the effects mm. are a bit, it's, it's pretty hard going for the time. Mm. It's pretty hard going. You know, these, these, these guys do not go in a quiet way. Mm. You know, they are horrifically scalded and drowned and dragged to their deaths.
1: Mm.
0: You know, and it's, That sort of first, that first glimpse of it where nobody knows what's going on and they are, you know, the, the, the shipping company is trying to work everything out is, you know, it very, very reminiscent of a country trying to work out what has happened in the initial stages
2: of an attack. Well, in this, you know, it's 1954, so bear in mind where Japan is at this point. Yes. Japan's in a very strange position. You know, it's nine years after two atom bombs have been dropped on there. Yes. You know, these weapons of unimaginable power, which had never been experienced by mankind before. No, no, not and at And more or less, these you know, these are the first people ever to experience it. So you can imagine... You know, they, you know, the people, this is very fresh in everyone's mind. Yeah, yeah. But also, at the same time, you've got the American occupation in Japan. Yeah. You know, Japan has been, an, uh, well, its thing had just ended like a year or two before. Yes. But Japan was essentially an occupied territory for quite a number of years. Mm. And Japan is sort of coming back onto its feet into a very uncertain world. Yes, yes. And also the Cold War's at full swing at this point, and Japan is right next door to it.
0: Well, they're right. You know, know, that's the thing with Japan, isn't it? It it has long been sort of historically fought over by the superpowers and sort of Mm. lots of, not openly fought over, but, you know, when you look at the trade deals that were, you know, um, Mm. you know, at the turn of the, you know, at the turn of the century with, you know, America racing to be involved in the modernization, you've got Mm. Russia competing to be involved in the modernization of Japan, Mm. Uh, you know, it's... um, it's a very, very, it's, it, you know, the history of, of, of Japan is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating.
2: And very complex, very,
0: quite yes. bleak
2: at times. a very, quite, very dark history as well. It's yes. a very, um, it's quite an unpleasant history when you actually read about it. There's a lot of, um, thing, you know, warfare, um, prejudice.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even Lots. when you go back to look at something like the Sengoku Jitai period, oh, and, and a- you know, it's
2: just, it's, it's just blood, you know, a lot of bloodshed. A lot oh, and, of bloodshed. And even, no, they're sort of moving into modernization, because they sort of modernize in a very quick period of time. Oh, massively so. And it, I, and in a very, a very brutal way as well. Like, you know, there's, that's one of the reasons why there's such a, there is that big anti-Japanese sentiment in most parts of the Far East. Yes. You know, because... You know their whole concept of the empire—you know, building an Asian, a pan-Asian empire—not mm-hmm. really with the consent of the other people living living around Asia. Yeah, they, and it was that sort of because um, it was a—you know—there's a culture they sort of westernized themselves. Yes, uh, but also they took the worst traits of Western culture as well. They all took like the worst aspects of it. Yeah, on board such as you know the sort of imperialism and or the exploitation side of it. So obviously. They they they've got a very traumatic history.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now I mean when we look at Godzilla, I mean mm. you can see again and, and I think like with all great films, mm. it can be seen on multiple levels. Oh,
2: there's a lot of subtext in there. You can
0: take but, this as a straight up monster movie. Yeah, you can enjoy it as on that level. You can look at it as obviously the metaphor for the destructive power of uh, it's an
2: anti war film in a way. It's yeah.
0: A, yeah, the destruct you know, it's an anti nuclear war film. But what this film is, and I think many, many people forget this, it is a bloody good film. Yes. And it's, you know, that, I forgot, because I remember initially, when I went to see this, I saw this in Chapter Art Cinema. Yes. Um, And I'd forgotten, actually, how powerful the opening credits for this film Mm. are. Because there's no, you know, there's, there's no big music. It is essentially the thudding footprints and that famous, famous Kajira roar. Yeah. And when you watch it, you forget actually how, you know, when it, you'd forget, I, I certainly had forgotten just how powerful and iconic that is. But do you know what that roar actually is? Isn't it something like a rubber glove, a, a, leather, it's a leather glove?
2: being rubbed over a, viol- a bass violin string, and they more or less, you know, they put it through, sort of like, they sort of put it through some sort of um, recording, you know, as they ma- they manipulated it yeah, in some way. Yeah. It's a lot like, how the, you know, in Doctor Who, what the TARDIS was, it was a um, key being scraped across the uh, piano, like piano wire or something.
0: <laughs> but it's, you know, it is incredible. It is an incredible, incredible film. And I mean, in mm. terms of story mm. um, and plot um essentially gojira is um awoken by nuclear testing um and is you know he comes back from the deepest darkest pits of the ocean to wreak havoc upon the islands and tokyo of the islands of japan and tokyo itself well
2: it's almost like godzilla himself becomes that sort of almost that symbol of vengeance and that symbol of you know, he is the symbol of the dangers of nuclear weapons and nuclear testing. Yes, yes. and he's more or less, you know, that's all. I saw him as almost like that symbol of revenge of mankind, sort of hubris. You yes, know, you know, that mankind thinks it can control this such such a dangerous substance and such a dangerous weapon. You know, it's almost you know, it's literally blowing up in our face. Yes, yes, it's teaching us that we are playing with things we shouldn't you know we're, we are play we've playing with powers we shouldn't be, we should not be even trying to use no no because they will destroy us however
0: there a, there is a moment in this film that i did i pissed myself laughing mm. it's when <laughs> when the, the the fishermen come back mm. after the sort of the first attack on the ships and yeah. and the, and the, and the The fishermen on the island come back and they haven't got a catch. Yeah. And there's the, there's a young girl, um, who starts giggling and laughing at the old man's predictions. Yeah. It's that Godzilla has returned and they may need to sacrifice someone. Yeah. And it's almost like, it feels like, um, like a Simpsons scene. Yeah. Where, you know, one of the old, one of the old guys there are just determined to sacrifice somebody. Yeah. And you can it's, he and see him
2: like, He seems like he says this every other week. Yes. It's like, like oh. Just something goes wrong and it's the first
0: port of call for him. Yeah. <laughs> My watch has stopped. Strap that woman to a raft.
2: It's just nobody listens to him anymore. No, it, like, yeah, just, just ignore him. Yeah, it's fine. He's just but, there, he's there in the street just sort of shouting at people. Everyone's like, yeah, just leave him. He's fine. Somebody's granddad will take him home eventually.
0: Don't worry, it's, it, you know, it's, you know, it, it's fine. It's Kevin's granddad. It's fine. He's just a bit, he's just a bit odd.
2: <laughs> but no, it's um interesting. One of the things that's interesting about Godzilla is bear in mind who some of the people were behind it because, you know, I said the director was Ishi- Ishiro Honda. Yes. And this was one of his, one of his first forays into um, normal narrative films. Before then, he'd been known for war films and documentaries. Yes, yes. And also... He was a man who was deeply traumatized by the war as well. Yeah, he was a soldier during the during the war as well, and yes. he was deeply traumatized by his experiences. And so even into his into his old age, he said he was still being haunted by memories of it.
0: And I think when you sort of, um, I mean, he was very. I think he was actually at Hiroshima or near Hiroshima um, at the end of the war, um, and he witnessed obviously the horrific. Hmm. Horrific um, scenes there, and um, it's all after that. You could clearly see in his work, his films always tend to have like a bit of a bittersweet ending.
1: Hmm. They,
0: they, they never, so they, they sort of this, they, they, they got a, you know, slight. You know, there's something happens that's quite nice, but actually there's still that sort of little bit, and even well, in this film, there's still that sort of there's something that lingers. There's that
2: bittersweet well, isn't lingering, isn't it? There's that quote where, um, is it Takashi Shimura's character, more or less warns the audience that yes. if nuclear, continu- nuclear testing continues, another yes. Godzilla will rise, you know. So pretty much, if we don't learn from this, we'll be doomed to make the same mistake again and yeah. again.
0: And, I mean, even the writer, um, Shigiri Kayayama, um, and it, it's based, you know, it's a combination of his and honda's wartime experience Mm.
1: um
0: and essentially you know the the absolute hatred and rightly so of the
2: of the of the nuclear bomb Mm. well Um, i've got a quote you're saying um from honda himself he says if Godzilla had been a dinosaur or some other animal he'd have been killed by just one cannonball yes but if you were equal to the atom the atomic bomb we wouldn't know what to do. So I took the characteristics of an atomic bomb and applied them to Godzilla. So he literally made Godzilla a living atomic bomb. Yes. That's pretty much what it was. You, you want him to be the living embodiment of the nuclear age.
0: Yeah. And I mean, what... What I also find is that in this film, that the entire... Um, following, obviously, the, the Second World War, the entire Japanese army <coughs> has been retrained by the star, you know, the stormtroopers
2: because hmm. none of them can shoot for shit. Well, at this point, well, bear in mind in Japanese history, what happens afterwards, is the Japanese military was disbanded. Yes. Because Japan doesn't have a... No, they have a self-defence no, force. Which is part of their constitution, which more or less states that they cannot... You know, they more or less can't have a military which can intervene. Yes. A, well, apparently they have broken it a couple of times since, but they don't have a full standing army. Pretty no. much it is like they have like a, just a territorial army that is basically... Yeah. The Japanese military is because pretty much for a time in this early, you know, post war, Japan kind of almost tried to implement a sort of state pacifism in yes, the Yes, yes, yes. Because of sort of how pretty much how barbaric the Japanese military behaved during the war. Mm. It was almost taught to the Japanese themselves that almost a sense of pacifism was instilled in them for a time. Yeah. Before, from what I've heard about their politicians lately, that's going away slowly. In yes. On they sort of bringing back old habits, well, which is worrying.
0: And what is another thing that you that sort of you know fascinated me um, as the film goes on, and you've got you know Godzilla's attack on Tokyo itself. Mm. Actually, Godzilla is not um, he's not the villain mm. in this. In that, basically, he has been you know he has experienced the trauma. Yeah. Of the of, of a nuclear weapon, yeah, and that's given a, him his powers.
2: He's a victim in himself,
0: yeah. And so, in this one, who is the hero? Who is the villain? Um, you know, it's not quite sort of it's it, it's not it, it's not as cut and dry.
2: No, it's, in a way, the villain of the piece is just nuclear weapons themselves. Yes. They are the villain. They yeah. are the villains. Of- it's interesting. I was just reading as well that some could argue. But there is a sort of, um, anti-American sentiment in some ways. I think Because so. the whole, the blame of the sort of, you know, the fact that the weapons are tested from the Americans, that puts the blame a lot on America. Yes. So yes. there is a bit a trace of anti-Americanism in there.
0: Yeah. Now, I watched the, the restored BFI
2: version. Yes, uh, which I had as well. One. Which, which is, is. That was for the 50th anniversary that yeah. was released.
0: And thankfully, there is no Raymond Burr in it.
2: That's a very strange story, because 1956 they re you no know, they recut the film. Yes. Under the name Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yes. Which is basically the same film but they tongues down a lot of the Japanese side of it. Yes. And there's lots of um clips of Raymond Burr playing a journalist called yes. Steve Martin. Of all people. I was about to say the, the fact that they gave him the name Steve Martin and well, now you uh, know well when they did Godzilla 1985. Yes. They could only call him Mr. Martin because around about that time Steve Martin the comedian had become, you know, was a star. Yes. Because in the 85 version, they did actually have Raymond Burr as a character. Yes. As a character. I really like that 1985 version. The the 85 version was the first time they sort of captured a sort of dark side of Godzilla. Yes. It was the first time in a very long time where they, they kind of went, well, it was, it was intending to go back to the roots, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it is a direct sequel to this one as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. uh, It is. Unlike the other ones, which are very loose. Are you, what are you trying to say? Son of Godzilla? Oh, Son of Godzilla, has Son of Godzilla, King Kong vs. Godzilla. Which is the third film in the franchise. Which is just... Bonkers.
1: Yes,
0: and depending on which version that you get to see, has multiple endings. Well, I've probably heard that, but I've never found any
2: of the other endings. I've the, only seen one.
0: The, the ending that I remember watching, because they used to have it in on video, on VHS, mm-hmm. um, in... Can you... Obviously, being from uh, you know God's own country, Aberdeen, can you remember Victoria videos? Victor- where was that in town? Do you know where the Black is? Yes. Now the Black is the Black Lion Pub, but nobody really remembers it as the
2: Black Lion Pub. So you know, just just I'm they not... kept short. They kept shortening their name constantly. Yes. So Fagans at the Black. And Lion then it, yes, the yes, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. it was the Black Lion. Then it was the Black because no one can be bothered to say the full name. No, no. So uh, you know.
0: So, yeah, so the black, the the pub, um, just opposite there. And it became a kebab shop in the end. Okay. But in there used to be Victoria Videos. And it was fucking awesome. They had an amazing horror section. Their martial arts section was the shit. It was amazing. And, yes, I just used the
2: word the shit. It was awesome. Or definitely before my time is then, because the only video shops I can remember in Aberdeen was the obviously blockbuster and Valentine's? Oh Valentine's um, on oh. um, gamblers Yes. Oh God,
0: yes. That's what I rented uh Kickboxer, the Sean Claude Van Damme Classic <laughs> classic. Oh. <laughs> for the first time. On its first day of release. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and here we are talking about the BFI cut of Godzilla. <laughs> and I'm talking yes. about yes. Uh, but, yeah, Victoria Video had uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla in there. Yeah. And on the ending, it's the one where they essentially stick King Kong in a cage and then push him out to sea.
2: Okay. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that. Which is a fairly bleak ending for King Kong. Well, it's better than some of his other endings, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. They, but... King Kong hasn't got a very good track record for uh, no. ending well. no.
0: Have you ever seen He's the, the, the uh, direct sequel to the 1970s version of King Kong? Oh, King Kong Lives? Yes. Yeah, it's bloody what, awful. Where he has a heart transplant.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's what was
0: that too... all about? Oh, it's just fucking terrible. <laughs>
2: to be fair, I don't think much of the, the 70s one itself. Oh, no, know, it's happens. terrible. It's, it's terrible. It does one of those annoying things, which I hate with films at the time, where they've got a character, you know, Jeff Bridges' character, who is someone you should sympathise with, because, you know... You know, they sort of try making him out as being a bit more enlightened than everyone else. Yes. But they still write him as a complete dickhead. Yes. Yes. And I'm still like, it is write him as really smug. Yes. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be on your side in this, you know. You're supposed to be the enlightened guy who knows better than everyone. But you're just coming across as the pot-smoking cunt who's hitting on everybody's girlfriend. That's the bit that annoys me about him. He's that, he, he comes across as that sort of guy who, um, pretends that he's probably more enlightened than he actually is just so he can get off of these women
0: yes he's the one who goes to yoga and stands at the back of the room
2: yeah does. He he's those, peop- those people you know when the sort of hippie things started who claim they were in you know they were all into it but really they was using it as an excuse just to get off of some people yes
0: it's like when um, anybody it, starts a cult yeah very very seemed,
2: quickly it morphs into a sex cult yeah he just seemed that annoyed me in that film because like you can clearly tell it was written by the seven in the 70s by people who didn't really have a clue what they were doing <laughs> no no no. Anyway, back to Godzilla. No. <laughs> we
0: digress. Um It's the idea you know, when you look at the characters in this film, <clears throat> they are they are sort of I wouldn't want to say the archetypes of um of the idea of the very, very straight laced, um stiff upper lipped um standing tall in the face of death, sort of um, classic idea of how Japanese people are. Mm. But there is something, um, they are very, they're very, nobody really loses it, do they? Mm. Nobody, you know, sort of, despite the sort of, you know, the impending sort of, disaster that's come in the closest that we get to any kind of real argument is uh shimura's uh falls out with his son-in-law to be uh, yeah and just tells him to leave the house and gets up and goes
2: it's that sort of um it's a very restrained yes They're they're very restrained performances which apparently is quite common in in japan as a culture It's a very restrained culture it's like britain in that respect
0: yes yes they're
2: very quite restrained people
0: yes yes and 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 in some ways that does work Mm. and you know i really love um akihiro hirata as
2: uh shirozawa i think Mm. because he just he just looks so cool he's very he's a very striking character just the look you know the eye you know the eye patch yes and you hold know, the eye patch and all he's very you'd look at him and he's got a story,
0: yes, and he's and I love how they just hint at what happened to him, hmm that he lost his eye in the war, and that's it,
2: but he's got you can see you can tell he's a character of a lot of baggage,
0: yeah, and he's almost like um he's like a sort of unwitting or sort
2: of reluctant dr Frankenstein, isn't he, yeah, he's that well he's is aware of what's going to happen. He's aware of the deadliness of the situation. Yes, and yes. he's got that sort of you know. i do think of the best way to describe it. He's a very interesting character, to say the least. He's one of the. He's probably one of the most out, n- next to Godzilla himself. Yes, he's probably the most memorable character in it. He's the one of the ones. I think people instantly remember. Yeah. 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 Because he's well, for one, his design is incredibly striking. You know, he's just got his. Just the look they've given him. He's, he's probably, the cl- in terms of his appearance, he's the closest he gets to sort of going into sort of B-movie territory. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. probably the closest, you know, we get in there. And also the fact, I love, you know, the moment, because he creates the uh, oxygen destroyer. Yes. Which kills Godzilla. Yeah. And he de- if I remember, yeah, he destroys all his notes. Yeah. and Yeah. allows himself to die at the end, because he knows he doesn't want his plans falling into the hands of anyone else, because he knows... He, pretty much he'll be like another godzilla you know. yeah and i mean it it's that sort of the the, the classic sort of heroic
0: um mm. you know that the, the hero sacrificing himself mm. you know well, the, the, you know the the, sacram- the one for the many
2: well that's his idea is i think because he he's aware of how dangerous he is in a way he knows how he you know the things his creations are so dangerous yes and, you know, he destroys all his notes and destroys himself because he sort of feels the world will be better off without him in a way because he does sort of feel that just him being there yeah. poses yeah. danger to everyone else because he has that capability. Yes. He wants no trace of it. Cause he, so, you he know, if, if this these weapons are available, somebody will use it. Yes. And his studies remain in some way or shape or form or even in his head. He could be coerced to use them again. Yeah. And it's just something his conscience can't let him allow him because he's too, he's a very, you know, his, his conscience gets the better of him in a way.
0: Yes, it does. Yeah. And I think in some way, I mean, I, 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 whenever you read anything, particularly about the book, you know, particularly any kind of sort of, you do any research about this, his death is, you know, probably one of the most famous in Japanese cinema.
2: It's one of the, it's one, well, at the end, it's, it's one of the big emotional moments of the film.
0: Yes, it does. And it does, and it, it 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 plays out very well. It doesn't Mm -hmm. come across as melodramatic.
2: No, it's it's still done very restrained. His performance is very... He looks like quite an over-the-top character when you first see him.
0: Yes. You You almost think
2: he'll be playing it as like a cackling mad scientist. Yes. But he does play it very quite restrained with that sort of... um, Yes. Very dignified, but also that sense of... Almost like... There's a bit of pain to his performance, you know, it's like that element of...
0: Yeah, yeah, because you put, look at him and you sort of expect him to be a villain from something like Golga, Golga 13, mm. wouldn't you? But he does, he, he's very, very restrained and it's just, it's, you know, it's clear this man is
2: absolutely tortured. In, yeah, he can tell that he's, he's, he's dedicated his life to science now. Yeah. And you can you clearly tell he, he wants to sort of go of his way... Just you know, he, he probably just wants to help people. Well,
0: and I mean, he just wants you know, and it's very, very clear that he is, you know, he, you know, the Shirazawa is, is in love with Imiko, um, hmm. and he, you know, part of the part of the large reason why he sacrifices himself um, is one obviously he doesn't want his oxygen destroyer to destroy it or fall into the wrong hands, but yeah. he, he sacrifices himself so that Imiko and Ogataya uh, Ogata um, can be together.
2: Because even when they're engaged... Yes. He, I think he sort of sees himself that he's just not someone who could make her happy. Think he feels so much baggage on himself. Yes. And he has got that sort of, you know, he sort of... I think, in a way, his death, he hopes it'll be that... Almost like a lesson, you know, that sort of... He'll die with Godzilla. Because yes. they both represent the sort of... They represent the dangers that these weapons Perdita can produce. Yeah. So, by removing himself from it, he hopes that that's yes. one less of these weapons in the world.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, you know, this... This is a film that doesn't pull any punches. Mm. Um, because women and children in this film are freely killed. Mm. And there is a real... There's a scene towards the end of this film that I just sort of... I, I just kind of... There was part of me that thought, oh... Oh God, that's really dark. Where mm. this a guy with a Geiger counter?
2: Oh, he's with the children, and he's with the and children,
0: and he runs it near the child's face, and the thing goes click, 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 click. Yeah, goes it's right. A fatal,
2: just, it's, a, it's a fatal dose. You much. just think, oh, that's just. And, but be reminded in Japan that that was real. You know, they are a generation of children were born. Yes, who had to have tests as well. You know, they were generations of children born in like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, oh, we having to. Who had to be studied and tested because, you know, because this was this is all new. This is something we no one really understood. Yeah, and it's it's a horrifying prospect. And also, there's one scene in it, which is one of the most, you know, one of the most upsetting moments in the film. Yeah, it's the mother and the and the. And yeah. she has that, she went, she's trying to calm her children down, even though it is quite clear they are about to die.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and again, it's very, very reminiscent of the firebombing,
2: um, uh, Kobe and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It?
0: And I mean, have you ever seen, um, Hatarun the uh, graveyard of the fireflies? Oh,
2: uh, Graveyard of the fireflies. Yes. I have seen that.
0: Oh my God. I cried and I
2: cried and That's... I cried watching That's that film. Fun. I've got a very odd relationship with that film, because I find it's very emotional. Yes. But it's one of those ones I wish, I wish I never read about the director himself.
0: Yeah,
2: right, okay. I've never, oh, I, well, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the reviews were going on about, oh, it's one of the great anti-war films. Yes. Because when you watch it, you're know, like, oh, yes. Yeah, if there's any film that's going to turn you off the concept of warfare, that's certainly gonna, you know, children like suffering for like two hours is, <laughs> is certainly up to. Slowly dying in front of yeah. you. Yeah, but um he more or less came out and said it wasn't an anti-war film. But what his version of it was, he more or less used it as a, as a means to sort of wag fingers at the younger generation. Right. <laughs> and it almost felt a bit sort of... It, takes oh, it. You, it does a bit because he was sort of using it as a way to say to the kids, "Oh, you lot, you know, you don't know where you, you know, you don't know where you are," either. and all that. going, "Oh God, yes," it, it turned into one of those sort of things. Like, and it felt a bit, bit wrong to me as well. You yeah. know, one of those sort of, you're kind of using that to sort of further, guilt, your, yeah, yeah, guilt, guilt people, yeah, guilt younger people who were, who, were, you know, they have the privilege of not being born in that world. Yes, and now you're sort of using that, you know, more so. You not know, respect your elders, sort of yes. thing, even though a lot of young people probably bring up quite valid criticisms of the older generation in a way saying, well, actually, you know, says, well, you know, your generation kind of messed this up for us. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're kind of saying, you know, things. And he's like, no, you should listen to us all the time. And it just felt a bit sort of, it felt like I was kind of, when I look at it now, I feel like I'm being lectured. Yeah. You know, like, like there's an old man who's just kind of telling me off. I mean, I gotta be honest with
0: you, after, I have not gone back and watched it again it's, since that it's first not, few
2: winners. It's not an easy film. But if no. you look, I think it of Godzilla's influence. Yes. If, uh, the wider influence, especially because of the influence of nuclear warfare. Nuclear war and nuclear weapons is an incredibly common trope in Japanese media. Oh yes, of course it look is. At, Pretty us look at all of japanese science fiction well akira uh um, akira, you got even things which don't directly talk about nuclear weapons nope. often use some sort of stand in for it you know some sort of weapon which is capable of destroying on a mass scale yes cuz yeah. it is it it it's a, it a very clear anxiety amongst the japanese It was a very sort of um, real anxiety to the japanese so and one of the things is kind of bizarre about Godzilla, which I think sort of frustrated some of the people involved mm. was the fact you know it spawned a sequel of um you know it spawned the sequels yes. which increasingly became camp more camp and more yeah. like almost like superhero stories more than anything. Godzilla became a superhero.
0: Yes. And I mean the car the you know the yeah. the, the cartoon series uh, yeah and
2: you it, know it it lost its way, you know, people sort of so people forgot what was the point of this?
0: Yeah, I think any time that Godzuki appears, I think that, well, that was... was an American
2: creation. Yeah. That, uh, that was Hanna-Barbera.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's pretty, you know, he has gone from being the destroyer of worlds,
2: um, to the cute, cuddly guy who shows up and to save the day. But I was thinking he evolved into this, or well, almost devolved into this superhero character, yeah. you know, this sort of campy, so, like, I I very much enjoy a lot of those films. You know, I enjoy yeah. a lot of the later Godzilla films. But there's always that sort of, um, you know, it's that difficulty that people sort of, you know, did the message come through or not? You know, yes. did, yeah. did people pay attention, or were they just watching a big, you know, a big, you know, it's a big monster stomping Tokyo, which is, especially when it got to America, and they really downplayed the nuclear side of it. Oh, yes. They yes. downplay that even more, so it was like... It was completely, so when it got to America, it was completely lost on the American audience.
0: Well, I mean, there's, ah. there are several cuts of this film. Mm. Um, and of course the American one, obviously they, they, they shoehorned, uh, Raymond, old Raymond Burr in there, Steve Martin, but the, um, Italian cut, which was called Cozilla, C-O-Z-I-L-L-A, um, it, which has got like, I think, mean, re- it's got a recut in it that includes colorization and stock footage from World War Two.
2: Oof, that's, uh, that's good for the yeah. That's good for the that's going to be nice for the Japanese, I imagine.
0: Yeah, so well, the, so, so there was that, um, and in the French uh, and in France, um, there was another odd cut to it as well, which again involved colorization.
2: Hmm.
0: So this film has had many, many, many sort of things done to it.
2: Well, one of the most unusual things that happened to the franchise in its wake was, as you know, the series went on, you know, it just went on, it went on for ages, and it went on for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That uh, I think even Hodder himself started to bemo- you know, bemoan the fate of the series. Yeah. Because I know he criticised the um, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Yes, in in, in nineteen ninety when was that No, that was ninety one yes which was um, infamous for sort of depicting a scene where a, a pre evolved Godzilla helps Japanese soldiers fight off the Americans yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> Honda said went was a step too far in his eyes because he well, felt but the anti Americanism had sort of reached a level of of worrying sort of um, yeah yeah and almost I mean, this are... national almost this nationalistic in you know, a sort of jingoistic flag waving for a bit. Yeah. And he was a yeah. bit, he was a bit sort of, this is a bit worrying. The script of King Ghidorah, because it is King Ghidorah, has loads of sort of very nat- nationalistic sort of things there, which are quite worrying when you sort of go, this is, the franchise has gone in a direction which they were really not intending it yeah,
0: to. Yeah, I mean, even if we just look at like the, just the Japanese based films, uh, there are, in total, there are 32. Mm. There are 32 Godzilla movies, so you've got, because we've got Godzilla from 1954, you've got Godzilla Raids Again, yeah. you've got King Kong versus Godzilla, you've got Mothra vs. Godzilla, you've yeah. got, uh, Ghidorah, the th- the, um, the three-headed monster, uh, you've got Invasion of the Astro Monster, you've got Ibura, Horror of the Deep, Son of Godzilla, Destroy All Monsters, All Monsters Attack, Godzilla vs. Hedorah, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, which is one of my favourites, actually. Um, you've got the Terror of
2: Mechagodzilla. Which was the last of the original series. Yes. Of the... what's known as the Showa era. Yes. Then, after that, it was the Heisei era. Yes. Which... which starts with 85.
0: Which... Uh Return of Godzilla. And, and then you've got Godzilla
2: vs. Biolante. Never uh, seen Biolante. Biolante, sorry. That's a very good one. It's one of the darker ones entries. It's one of those quite almost horror entries. Like some of the 80s ones border into some very, like, dark territory. Mm, mm. You know, they started to border into some very sort of almost quite horrifying elements came up in them.
0: Yeah. And then you've got uh, Godzilla versus King K- um, Ghidorah. Uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, Godzilla
2: vs. Space Godzilla, which is fucking bonkers. Oh, I love that one. But one of my favourite ones, because you mentioned it already, was Godzilla vs. H- Hedera. Yes. Which is, it pretty much the franchise, for the first time in a while, trying to tackle some sort of political issue. Yes. So they were trying, but they went for, um, it was environmentalism, which at the time was quite... You know, quite ahead of its time. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. in the 70s, the environmental movement was only sort of becoming a a thing around about that time. Yes. And they no, they were quite ahead of the game. But problem is, the film is absolutely insane. Yeah. It's this weird, psychedelic, trippy film, which is, at times, feels like a kid's film. And at times, just too violent to be a kid's film. Like, there's some horrifying bits in it. But one of my favourites, which I think you were about to go on to, just for the name, because nobody pronounces it properly... Godzilla vs. Destoria. It's a, des- a Destoroyah. Destoroyah, right. Which sounds Japanese when you say it. I think it is. I think it is a very sort of phonetic pronunciation yeah. of destroyer yeah. in Japanese. Yeah. Tako Okawara is, directed it, didn't he? And it's one of the darkest in the franchise. Well, it's literally the death of Godzilla. Yeah. Pretty much. I think they'd looked at the, a few years before, you know, there was the death of Superman. So I think they sort of went, oh, quick, we need to do... Um, we need to knock him off. Yeah, you know, we need be you know, like I guess if, if you know D C can kill off Superman, then loads of people are buying the comics. Yes. We need we need to do our, our stuff. In fact, this was a uh, this was reported on American television. <laughs> and not many of the films have been released in America at this point, or no, no, they've been no. the old ones at. But he was such like a pop culture icon. Yes. That even in American television it more or less means an that they were killing off Godzilla and then he came back a couple of years later for um Godzilla two thousand uh, millennium. Yeah, which is a f- bizarre film as well that, that's quite a good one at times that's very it's got some very silly moments yeah but it's worth watching and also It also has got Godzilla being quite destructive as well It has got him kind of going back to his roots and then you've Although, got, got, no, I got mean, he, Godzilla vs. Megagirus. yes which has him fighting a primitive dragonfly <laughs> Uh, you've got Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Dread Monsters, All Out Attack. Yes. Which might be the most Japanese title for something ever. Yes. Uh, Godzilla <laughs> Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, because they couldn't really do Godzilla versus Godzilla 3. No, no. Ozzy and I was really just get going a, a step too far, I think, yes. wasn't it? Yes, yes. Um, and you got Godzilla Tokyo S.O.S. Yes, which, which is... Sh- I don't know. <laughs> I, I, was... I, I just couldn't get my head around that one. <laughs> that was them trying to go back to the roots of him being a villain. Yes. I think, wasn't it? They were trying to go back to the sort of making Godzilla the bad guy. Yes. But then, they, if I remember correctly, wasn't it that Godzilla was the, um, the embodiment of the the dead or something like Of the World War Two dead or something really Yeah, which bizarre. is so bizarre.
0: Which... Um... It just totally, totally, I don't know, I don't know, to be honest with you, I kind of sort of zoned out pretty much halfway through that one and sort of vowed never to
2: watch it again. Then they did Final Wars. Yes. Which was intended to be the end of the franchise and for the 50th anniversary. Yes. And that one is absolutely just bonkers. It's just fight scene after fight scene. Yes. There's no real plot. No. It's just... Just as many fight scenes as they can cram into a single film. And as a good tidbit, they end up you know they end up fighting the American Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, two years ago they did another Godzilla film. It's a Shin Godzilla. Which I still haven't watched yet, but I've been I told I've not seen that one. But I've been told it is quite horrifying at times. Yeah. And the director of that one is the still the strangest. Well the co director. Which uh, it's the Yes. N- I've, I've no he's known for animation. Yes. He's not known yes, for live right. action. And his most infamous work is Neon Genesis Evangelion. Ah, that's Which is infamous really... for being one of the trippiest and most disturbing bits of animation that come from Japan. Yes, yes. It's infamous for its apocalyptic final film, <laughs> and the fact that he had a mental breakdown while making it, and more or less, he can, it shows in his work. Yes, yes. That The end of the show is more or less watching a man who is slowly snapping. <laughs> It's, a, a, which is a, a bizarrely common thing in Japanese animation, For a lot of their directors start snapping, and, you start, yeah. and as you watch <laughs> yeah, the series, yeah, you can sort of see, it. as soon as they start killing off more characters, you start going, oh, wait, hang on, this is him having a breakdown, oh, isn't it? Oh, God. And then they say, oh, my next series will be a lot more cheerful, then they just do it all over again. <laughs> you know, like my favourite one is then, Yoshiyuki Tomino. <sighs> Yes, most famous for yes. work on the Gundam franchise. Yes, and his nickname is "Kill 'Em All," Tomino, you know? <laughs> because he's infamous for killing off the majority of his casts. Like he did one series, did the series Eight of Gundam, which is infamous for being so depressing, killed off most of its cast. And then he followed up with the, the sequel series and said, "Oh, this one's going to be more lighthearted and aimed at a younger audience." <laughs> and, it, and for the first half of the series, he sticks with that. And then he gets depressed again, and then halfway through it he starts killing off the characters. It gets <laughs> deadly serious. And then towards about, about ten episodes before the end, he throws into like really goofy and weird episodes which sort of really don't gel with the rest of the series. Yeah. And then he goes back into serious mode and just kills off the rest of them. <laughs> and he did one film. He did this another series called Space Runaway Ideon. Yes. Which is I infamous for that, yes. It's infamous for its last film where he literally kills the entire universe. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it does get reborn again at the end of the film, but, ah, you, know, you know. that's handy. The fact the fact that he just decides to kill everyone off. Also, he puts himself in it briefly, so literally kills himself in it. <laughs> so, you know, that's some sort of weird quantum <laughs> thing there. Yeah. Now,
0: the last ones that they got is Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters. Which is uh, the new, I think it's the, is that the
2: Netflix one they've been doing? Yes,
0: this? that's that one. And then you've got Godzilla City on the edge. And then you've got Jesus. Godzilla, the Planet Eater.
2: Yeah, this is their um, animated series they're doing, is yes. they did like like An animated series. I'm hoping that we will one day get i I'm hoping that we will get a Godzilla film, which captures the feel of the first one. Because I haven't seen the 2014. I haven't seen Godzilla 2014 yet. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, mm.
0: Is it... Does it have the feel um, of this? Not really. Um... It's got some interesting moments for you. It's certainly an improvement on the role of Emmerich. shit. Well, definitely.
2: Well, I find the one of the problems is when you introduce another monster into in, into the film. Yes. It sort of detracts from the whole meaning of it then, I think, because it, yeah. um, it becomes a monster brawl film
0: yes. then. Yes, yeah, and I think, well, and then obviously because they're gearing it up to be bringing him back to King, you
2: know,
1: yes, to versus course.
2: King Kong, which you just think, oh, come on. i too, you know, so, um, but I'm I'm hoping that one day we will get a Godzilla film which matches the same level of just that because I think you know as we said before with the War Games podcast yeah saying about the threat of nuclear war still hangs over mankind yeah we've yeah, yeah. just sort of conditioned ourselves to sort of to sort of almost forget about it you know to ignore it
0: yes But
2: yes. I I kind of want there to be another Godzilla film which it, whether it's an American one or another Japanese version yeah which yeah. matches the same level of of that bleakness and of that darkness of it like i'd love to see them actually showing almost the after effects of the attack not just the city in ruins but the fact that it's a nuclear he's a nuclear weapon yeah yeah so he's going to leave behind like fallout he's going to leave behind he's you know he's an almost apocalyptic creature well i know, want everything you know essentially you know when he sort of the scene you know the
0: famous scene where he just melts the electrical wires. Yes. Um, and, y- you you, he is, you know, he is the destroyer of worlds. He, there is no two ways about that. He is, he is, he is a weapon of mass destruction.
2: Well, he is, you know, as I said he's the embodiment of the nuclear age. And, you know, he, he does represent, you know, the destruction it can cause. You know, he's the, he sort of, is the ultimate culmination of the nuclear, of the nuclear arsenal all in one creature. Yeah. All man. this, this almost unthinking, unrelenting, you know, this, you know, what's it, um, uh, better to describe him, this, there's like no pity in the creature, you know. Oh it's no, like nothing the, at all, nothing. He's a complete just, force of nature, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a complete force of nature, combined with the sort, you know, of
0: mankind's worst weapon. Well, it's, well, I, and I think, you know, this is very, you know, this is, you know, certainly the, the not so subtle metaphor of when nature is out of balance because of man.
2: Hmm. You well, know. that's when our, as um, you uh, uh, say, so Sherasawa kills himself because of his, because he doesn't want it falling into the wrong hands. Because he suddenly knows that these sort of weapons shouldn't be in the hands of anyone. No, no, no matter how good that person in person's intentions is. Yes, yes, they are. They are weapons which man just shouldn't deal with. No, their weapons which should be kept. You know, little sort of things mankind shouldn't have discovered. No, exactly. And it, you know, amongst all of this, though, amongst
0: all the very, very one of my. Th- Favorite scenes in this film is Doctor Yama Yama um, uh, Yama, Yamane, um mm. where he sees the monster, and then you know, and they're on Odo Island, and then the villagers mm. think, right, we're going to fight the monster off, and you see them all charging up the hill, and you see Doctor y- running back down the other way, and then the, the, the couple of the villagers get to the point, and the couple of them are, are carrying a couple swords. Yeah, there's that moment of. A you of, think a bit, a bit more than we could chew you, boys. <laughs>
2: which the Japanese self-defence force does in every single one yes. of these sums. Yes, Which, it sets the long tradition of the Japanese self-defence force being completely ineffectual. Yes. You know, being li- literally completely useless in these sums. In fact, I think they seem to make it worse. Yes. They just, I think they just agitate Godzilla more. You know, they just make, they put Godzilla in an even worse mood. Yes, well, you kind of expect him just to turn around and go, stop it. You know, they're like, they're pinpricks. Which yes. is one of the reasons why the um, the 98 Godzilla's so rubbish. Yeah, Because a, sub- a submarine gets it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, uh. the weirdest bit about that film, it turns into Jurassic Park in the last, like, half hour. It, what, with baby Godzillas? Yeah, it turns in. well, you can clearly tell they're trying to cash in on Jurassic Park. Yes, yeah. They, you know, they went, oh, Jurassic Park and Velociraptors, quick, we'll have some of our own in there, you know. yeah. Well, I've because- we'll have radioactive velociraptors. Oh, but the iguanas in that one, which is the straight, weirdest bit. It was a giant iguana. Yeah. Yeah. And I look, I, look, I can tell it was made in America, because it puts the blame on the French instead. Yes. It blames it on the French instead. <laughs> when in doubt, blame the French. Which, you know, I, I know, um, after the Iraq war, there was a lot of anti-French sentiments <laughs> in America for a bit. You know, they were getting in on there really clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a perplexing film, that one is. I'm not quite sure what I was about. The best thing, one of the best things to come out of it, though, was Roger Ebert's review of it. Right, I love, I love a, I love a pissed off Roger Ebert. Well, Roger Ebert has, uh, gave 1954 Godzilla a mixed reception later on. Yes. I think actually said sort of aspects were dated about it, you know, so it's one of those things in retrospect. But, he got to review, you know, he reviewed the 98 version. Yeah. And there's two characters. There's a character based on him in it. Right. It's the, mayor's, the mayor and his assistant. Yes. They're based on Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> They're based on Siskel. And it was supposed to be, they were supposed to have been, you know, the middle finger by, you know, by Rolne, because they'd been famous critics of Emmerich. Yes, yes. You know, they'd frequently criticised Emmerich's work. So this was like, oh, this is how I'm going to get back, you know. This is how I'm going to get back at them. Yeah. And they both survived the film. Yes, and Ebert gave the film one and a half stars out of four. <laughs> and he can't. And so it's, it's he said, um, "Yeah, he says he pointed out in his review that the characters of Mayor Ebert and his assistant Jean were devil and Eric's Jabs." at his um, Siskel and Siskel Eberts some um, review negative reviews of Stargate and, and Independence Day. Yes, and they put it on the worst films of the year. And I can't find the quote, but apparently Ebert said something. You both you put us both in your film, but you know I guess you didn't know you didn't you didn't. But he didn't have the thought to get Godzilla to the us so at any yeah. point. <laughs> I love the fact that was a complaint, but you put it in your film, but he didn't actually kill us. No, he didn't have the balls to kill us. Like it's at least at least um, Joe Dante killed Leonard Moulton in um in Gremlins 2. Yes. And he got Leonard <laughs> Moulton to do it, which I thought was a good sport on his part. Yes. Finally he was really good mates of Joe Dante, so he was like he said he always felt a bit bad for criticizing Gremlins. Yeah. So so I so just said uh, as a sort of favour back to him, so I'll let you kill me in your next film. <laughs> I'm not making a, Apparently he did that as almost like a favour to him to say, I'm sorry, you know, you're a really good mate, man. I'm sorry I sort of trashed your film on, on national television. Yeah. But if you like, do what you like to me. <laughs> you, know, you can kill me in the next one.
0: Now, we we would be remiss if we didn't mention the the Godzilla suit.
2: Yes, and the man who and the man who played him. Well, he recently passed away. It was last year, I think. It was um, uh, Haruo Nakajima. yes. He died August seventh, twenty seventeen. Now that suit,
0: um, in the first film, is you know, essentially it is the stiffest. Oh God! rubber suit and weighed close to the sort of like sort of like ridiculous like
2: two hundred pounds. I think he passed. He passed out multiple times in it.
0: Yes, they could
2: barely move in the thing. You know, it was an absolute nightmare to wear. He sweated buckets. Yeah. it was apparently an absolute nightmare to be you know to actually wear. You know to actually dress up in that thing. It's still, you know, and I mean, of course, they got the lots, lots of forced perspective films, which would then
0: become the sort of, and you know, you got the little miniatures, and the, which which would then become the calling card for the franchise. But it's not overplayed in this film, and, no, and it's use very it when it needs to. Yes, and it's very much they use the, the, the you know the Roger Corman rule of don't show him until you have to, until the final end, till the final final reel,
2: which Spielberg would end up using for Jaws. Yes. Yes, and it works. It's one of those things where it works. Yes. As an idea, it's just one sort of, it's simple and effective. Here's a very one of my favorite facts about this film is where the name comes from. Yeah. Gojira was the nickname of the security guard at Toho Studios. <laughs> and it means in being gorilla whale. Because <laughs> it was a security guard. It was a big, big burly man. Big scary yes. looking bloke apparently. And they still called him Gojira as a joke. Yes, and the monsters sort of named after him in tribute.
0: I mean, the Japanese famously do have strange nicknames, or give people
2: very, very strange nicknames. Japanese have a love for puns as well. The puns which make absolutely no sense outside of Japanese. Yes. Well, it's supposed to be certain words sound very similar to each other in Japan. Yes. And the way you say certain words can be like a pun. Yes. But over here, that's why a lot of Japanese humour doesn't make sense to us. No. C- that's no. why a lot of Japanese comedies, I don't think, are very rarely shown outside of Japan. Yes. Because they just do not translate at all. No, no. <laughs> it's like a lot of British comedies won't translate in other countries. <laughs> like, yeah. our sort of sense humour won't make sense to some other countries. No. And their sense humour will make absolutely no sense to us.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but... Hello? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were gone then. I sure, thought we I'm lost just... you. I thought,
0: I thought suddenly there'd been a, you know. The, no, I'm fine. The, uh, the Gojira of Cum Day
2: had, uh, appeared oh. and, uh, Chasing taken off. you out. Uh, Britain and Godzilla. There was an attempt for Britain to rip off Godzilla.
0: Yes. Gorgo.
2: Gorgo. <laughs> it's isn't it, he's a giant dinosaur found off the coast of ireland yes yes it's we terrible don't quite, we don't, it's sort of godzilla crossed with king kong isn't yes. it like elements of king kong it's very british and of course one of my favorite examples is reptilicus yeah the, the danish, danish. It's,
0: it's it's a great great campfest.
2: yes <laughs> no and one can act in it no and the dialogue makes no sense and the monster's fantastic. I love Reptilicus as a design. Yes. It makes no sense. It's an absolutely ludicrous looking design. And if anybody's and listening, it kind of. Reptilicus kind of always makes me think of the Chewwix. The, snake. Yes, <laughs> the it's it's, adverts. It's a snake, monster, dragon thing. Yes. That spits out venom or I something, doesn't it? it yes, out. it's terrible. Sorry, it's it's terrible. got my favourite. You can find it on mo- YouTube. I, it's a great moment from me, which I've always loved. It's a, it's just a few seconds. and one of the characters looks, I it, it think it's like a scientist looks out of a window. Yeah, and we look at the window, and in shock, he sort of, you know, he looks in shock, and as he does that, his toupee moves back a bit. Yeah, it's, even his <laughs> toupee <laughs> moves back in shock. Now that's acting. I love it. It's, it's, it's one of those sort of. Uh, it's a perplexing film. You know, some of the films that came up trying to rip off Godzilla are of varying quality. Like have you heard of Young Gary? No, I haven't. It was the South Korean Godzilla. film. Because uh. what happened was, um, for years up until quite recently, actually, Japanese media was banned from Korea. Yes. So more or less, what the Koreans would do, they'd find out what the Japanese were up to, and would just do their own equivalent to it. Yeah. So they would make their Godzilla rip-offs and all that. You know, they'd rip, and also because a lot of Japanese animation was um, animated in Korea. Yes. They were just nick all the designs they'd left over from Japan <laughs> with their own versions of it. But the most, the most bizarre, the most bizarre Godzilla ripoff was Pulgasari, which was North Korea's Godzilla, which has the single most fascinating <laughs> background I've ever heard. Because it was be um, Kim Jong Il. Yeah, believe it or not, published books on film criticism. <laughs> he was an avid film fan. Apparently, he was like a fanatical film fan. Right. And he done, he did books on like film criticism, which is like, i I try to see if I can hunt down a copy just to see what that's like. But yeah. um the story goes, he wanted North Korea to make like a Godzilla film. Yes. Uh, problem was, they didn't have many directors who were experienced of special effects of that, you know, of that sort of caliber. Yes. So basically, they kidnapped a Japanese <laughs> director. <laughs> I was gonna say, was it was an ending kidnap. And his <laughs> wife. And they were gonna use his wife as like leverage. <laughs> but they discovered they'd been split up for ages. <laughs> so what happened was they had them, they had this, you know, this, um you know, this separated couple kept together. They actually brought one of the Godzilla actors to come, out, come in and do it. <laughs> he managed to get him into the country to you know, actually play their monster. And basically what happened was the husband and wife, well the ex-husband and wife, reconnected while in North Korea... <laughs> oh, it's a love story. Back, ...fell back in love of each other, managed to escape and got remarried. Oh! oh. No, you see, though, that's a film in itself. That's a film I want to see maybe. Yes! Because it just seems like... My God, that is... You know when people say something is stranger than fiction? Yes. It's those... Oh, that's the things we reserve it for. You know, it's things like that we reserve that term for. Yes. I'm baffled by it. You know, it's just... It, it seems like it's made up, but apparently it's all true. Yeah, and it's it's uh, Just, I'd recommend looking it up because it's a fascinating little story. And the film was made. You can find the film in so you can find the film in some forms. It's it's an incredible story that
0: you see. Uh, that film needs to be made.
2: That film <laughs> well, needs to be made. Seriously, look at Pulgasari. and right. you would be very very confused. But the weird thing about that, it's a monster movie set in the medieval era. Of course. Of course it's it would In, be. like, medieval Korea, pretty much. Like, ancient Korea. Yeah. Of course it'd have to be, wouldn't it? It would have mm. to be. <laughs> it's very strange. So,
0: what have we missed? What have we missed? Because we've... i got to be honest, we've bounced everywhere on oh, this
2: one. definitely. It's... Oh, God, oh God
0: where are we? <laughs> I, I, well, that's a very good question. I've had a, you know, a very long day, and I'm not quite sure anymore. But... uh <laughs> I mean, I think this is a, you know, a Godzilla as a film from uh, from 1954 is a film that is, it is more than a giant monster stomping on buildings and more than a man it's in, one
2: in a rubber suit. Go, you need to go into, I think a modern audience need to go into it with, with an open mind. Yes. They need to sort of leave behind any preconceived notions of the franchise, or you know, any sort of, of, you know, what they think of Godzilla is going to be. They need to leave that at the door.
0: Yes. And I mean, this, and, you know, this has got, I think, and in terms of somebody looking for an introduction to Japanese cinema, hmm. um, this film, uh, you know, it's made by legendary, you know, the legendary Toho studio. And Honda um, was
2: also I, a, um, one used to work with Kurosawa quite a bit. So yes. He he's got some pedigree in the film industry. Yes. there's one thing we haven't touched, which I think we should, because I think it'd be rubbish not to, not to discuss, discuss it, the soundtrack. Oh, it's Akira I- Ifukube. Yes, yes, yes. The man who did, pretty much did the soundtrack to all of these films. Yeah. He did the soundtrack for the all of the sort of kaiju films. Yeah. And it's that distinctively, you know, it's all influenced by, you know, like Western orchestration. But I've noticed the Japanese films have their very distinctive soundtracks. Yeah. They're always very bombastic. They're very... Um, no, they've all, they're always very big soundtracks. This is no, you know, this is no exception to that. No, no. And I
0: think one of the things th- that I love about this is there are... The soundtrack to this is very, very, very Japanese, but yet very, very Western. Hmm. Um, and it's sort of... They, it, it's It's sort of almost understated at times, but it does, you know, it does have those moments where it does sort of Mm. fit in with the PR, but it is a superb soundtrack. It is a superb score. It's a superb scoring. Mm.
2: It's one one of the classics of the era, I think. Yes, yes. And Godzilla's theme himself is iconic. It's It's one of the sort of iconic, icons of Japanese culture.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, completely. Absolutely.
2: Godzilla himself is now an icon of Japanese pop culture.
0: Yeah. And I mean, um... He is, you know, um I, I'm gonna butcher his last Ifu Ifu Kubi uh, Kube. Ifu Kube. I
2: think it's Ifu Kube.
0: Yeah. I mean he is um he's a fascinating character. He's a fascinating person to actually sort of uh to mm. read. Um you know, he's uh I mean he you know he's the son of um um a policeman. He's the third you know, all his family were police officers. Um, you know, he spent time, um, you know, in the army, he, you know, he, he, you know, he's worked on everything. Um, Mm. and it's, is the man who created the roar. He is the man who created the, you know, that incredible roar. Um, you know, and the, the footsteps were created by taking, um, a bass drum and a knotted rope and slamming it against that.
2: It's the creativity of it. You know, it's the same thing with, like, um, early Doctor Who. Yes. When it was a little experiment... Experiments. It's also, you think about the, the costume as well. It was originally intended to be stop-motion.
0: Yes, yeah,
2: yeah. But apparently the budget just proved to be too much. It was just too expensive to do at the time. Yeah. So they went for the man in the suit. Yes. Because it was the cheaper option. And ended up starting a whole genre.
0: And, I mean, he You know, he did he did uh, a lot of the music for the Zatoichi films. Mm-hmm. Um... He, you know, and obviously he did a lot of the scores for the Godzilla films. Um, you know, he, you know, incredibly, incredibly talented man. Mm. Incredibly talented man. Um,
2: Very prolific as well. Just looking at some of it, you know, at this filmography.
0: Yes. And I mean, he passed away in 2006. Look,
2: 2000.
0: Yes, 2006. Yeah. I, I mean, prolific. Um, you know, from orchestral to chamber music, um, a great, great, you know, under and under,
2: underappreciated, I think, in his time. I think because we've with, with our sort of film, you know, the film world of us is so Western centric. We only seem to think about a certain like certain amount of composers You know, we think of like John Williams, yes, uh, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, yes, uh, Maurice Jarre, Maurice Jarre. Yes, you know, We all sort of think of the same ones, and we sort of leave out a lot of the Avino you know, composers from outside of that world. Yes. You know, you yes. like, you know, you know, so the you know, sort of wet Eastern composers and all that. We sort of leave them out a bit, which is disappointing, I think, because they are some fantastic ones who are from outside of the Western sphere. Yes. It's like one of my favourite films of all time is, um, is Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky. Yes. Which has got an absolutely beautiful score by, um, well, a soundtrack by uh, Edward Atremiev. Okay. Which is electronic bits, but it's also influenced by um, Central Asian music. Mm, mm. So it's all these unusual sounds, you know, stuff you wouldn't really hear on a Western score. But because, you know, all these places were all part of the Soviet Union at the time, they sort of all came together. Yes. So all those loads of influences sort of came together. Things like Georgian music is influenced by. Mm. So it's all sorts of unusual sounds, which I'm quite disappointed. We don't get to hear much in Western filmmaking, but we do kind of stick so much with our own... Yeah, yeah. Our own sort of style... Where you know i think some of these composers from outside of there should get their appreciation a bit you know yes because i think the only japanese composer that seems to get any appreciation over here is uh Rayuchi sakamoto yes yeah who so, was a musician he's on the yellow magic orchestra originally and he's done a few western films but it's quite disappointing but he's like he's kind of almost like a token one in the way
0: yeah 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 now here's the question where would you come in
2: on a score for godzilla 1954 myself i would have to go for a solid 10 myself oof yep, coming in hot yep. for me it's a nine yeah um
0: i think that you know there are there are a few moments in it and i think the reason why it's a nine for me is i find uh, a momoko uh, kochi uh, who plays imako yami uh, in it
2: i find her deeply deeply distracting and irritating i think that's a problem with some of the writing on that some parts yes especially of how uh, probably women were sort of written in a lot of the songs at the times so. yes yeah um, which is an unfor- it's sort of an unfortunate thing which sort of dates it I think.
0: yes and i think that is, that for me is is the biggest drawback hmm. however this is i think it's a great gateway into japanese cinema um i think the um It is a very powerful film still. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very brave film to be made. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, if you, I think the fact that you've got somebody like uh, Shimura in this film, uh, it just brings a level of prestige to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I think it's a superb film. It's an absolutely superb film and it's a great, it's a great use of horror and sci-fi
2: and also the social commentary and the like, yeah. sort of political commentary.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's only ninety six minutes long. It's ninety six minutes long. So
2: it's, a, it's a pretty. It's a pretty short film. Yes. I see. And these are people sort of just, just discounted as another monster movie. Yes. I think people will be sort of surprised by the sort of political subtext yes. of the film and yes. the sort of you know all this sort of subtext and how just down and how. Um, how bleak of a film it is compared to some of its contemporaries and oh, the yeah. films that came afterwards. Yeah.
0: It, it, like I said, we said, it, it pulls no punches. Mm-hmm. It pulls no punches. Um, so my good man, I think we've bounced all over the place. Yeah. As usual. <laughs> There's a bit of a theme coming through this, uh, through our So the theme, the motifs are running are nuclear war, witchcraft, yep. um, and so, everything else. Yeah. So we need to find some kind of witchcraft based uh, post apocalyptic film to cover next.
2: Probably exists. There
0: probably is one out there. Somewhere. There's probably somewhere. There's probably something. And then I go for it. I promise you, I promise you, we will what we will cover
2: Zardos. We will soon. do that one day. We will. <laughs> God. I am,
0: that's I am building up to it. That's like uh,
2: the, that's an anniversary episode, I think. <laughs> Or some sort of milestone episode.
0: Yes, of my release from the from an asylum uh, <laughs> for wearing my Sean Connery Zardos cosplay outfit to work. As my uh, lecturer once referred to him as uh, Sean Connery looking shaken and stewed. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, Leah, thank you so much for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this no, one. It's not. And that's like Problem. thanks for having me on again oh hey listen you've got an open invitation to be on any anytime mm-hmm. and we'll get you back on very very soon
2: do you want to tell the good people before you go where they can find you uh best place to find me these days is on uh twitter <laughs> lurking which, in the depths yeah, which you'll probably link to at some point yes
0: yes it, uh, it's always in the show notes whenever you're on yeah
2: excellent so you can uh track down now you've changed your name on your on your twitter yeah I know everyone seems to do it every October, so I decided to go for this. Everyone goes for the sco- you know, some sort of spooky theme name yes. for the Halloween time. So I finally came up with one actually I was actually pleased with once. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a good one last year, so I actually came up with this one. <laughs> Outstanding.
0: Thank you so much for being on, my good man, and I shall speak to you very, very soon. We shall. Take care. Uh-ta. Okay. Up next we have got what the wookie watched so first up for your listening delights we have got house of salem let's check out the trailer
1: Houses hold a lot of secrets, Jack. And the house of Salem is definitely one of them. there something going on in this house. Something bad just happened. I can't... Welcome to your new playhouse.
0: Okay, that was the trailer for House of Salem, directed and written by James Crow. It stars Jessica Arterton, Jack Brett Anderson, Liam Kelly, Leslie Mills, Robert Lowe, Andrew Leapotts, Dean Maskell, Anna Nightingale, Naylan uh, Burgess and Flynn Allen. And it's a story that revolves uh, around a group of kidnappers who snatch a child away in the Dead of Night, only to soon find themselves in a Deep, deep water with a satanic cult looking to um, perform a satanic ritual. Well, obviously being a satanic cult. Um, (laughs) House of Salem is available from the 1st of October. So by the time this uh, show comes out, it will be available on DVD and digital download. And you can uh, find it on Amazon and... um, I gotta say, I really, really enjoyed this one. I thought um, it has some really, really good moments of tension in it um, I think Jessica Arterton is very, very good in this um, Liam Kelly um, is interesting to watch um and overall this is a pretty decent film um i think sometimes it's sort of budget limitations do catch up with it um and there are two one or two wobbly performance in it but overall i thoroughly enjoyed this um what would i give this out of 10 I would probably give this a five and a half out of ten. I would definitely say it's one to put on if you are just looking for something that's sort of um, not too complicated. It has got some good chills in it. It's got some good effects. um, There's a little bit of gore. um, And overall, it's a pretty solid film. Um, So like I said, it's a five out of ten from me. Okay, up next, we've got... The Snarling. Let's check out the trailer. Cut! Can we get the zombie to roar when she attacks Greg, please? Okay. First position then, please, everyone. The sooner we wrap on this movie, the better. The police and the media, they're everywhere. Oh, they're seeing that this film is cursed. <laughs> These horrible murders are all linked by one common connection. All the brutal murders took place during a full moon. Oh,
2: great. The only light for miles around and the power goes off. Well, at least it's a full moon.
1: I'm sure you've all heard the series of gruesome murders by an alleged werewolf. Clear the set, clear the set now!
0: Okay, that was the trailer for The Snarling from 2018. It was directed and written by Pablo Raybold. Also stars him in a role in this. Um, It also stars uh, Julia Deacon, Joel Beckett, Chris Simmons, uh, Lawrence Saunders, uh, Steve Johnson and Albert Moss. And essentially what you've got here, you've got a new uh, zombie horror film which is being made in a little village. And unfortunately, uh, some grisly murders start occurring um and it's down to local detective inspector and his hapless sergeant haskins to trace the killings uh, back to the film set i suppose and then race off to stop the bloodshed before our local heroes get caught up in the real gore and guts and i gotta be honest with you guys this is a horror comedy and i went into this one with some significant trepidation because horror comedies um is not one of my favorite genres I think they tend to be a little bit more miss than hit. I think for every um, Shaun of the Dead, you get um, a Saturday the 14th and, you know, various scary movie part 10 billion or whatever they're up to now. Um, However, this is, you know, I think this, this, this is more hit than miss. Uh, Pablo Rebold gives a um, gives us a really really interesting film here uh, the gags keep coming um, it's quite a light hearted film um, it's very very British um, we should be interested to see how this sort of translates to uh, um, audiences across the pond Um It's got some great effects. I was really, really impressed with the werewolf because that's always a big thing, isn't it? In any werewolf movie, is the transformation um, and what does the wolf actually look like? I was really, really impressed with that. So uh, it is a you know it was a big thumbs up for me on that one. The cast are all very, very good. Um, Everybody plays it with a. With a, with a straight face, uh, but there's enough of a wink and an edge so that you could see that everybody is actually really enjoying themselves. I don't know whether or not that was actually the case whilst they're making it, because, you know, nine times out of ten when you ask people, you look like you have so much fun whilst you're making it, they say it was hell. However, I'm sure that wasn't the case and everybody had a laugh a minute. But I really, really enjoyed this. Um, and I definitely will be looking out for more from uh, Mr. Raybald. Okay, up next we have got... The Monster. Let's check out the trailer.
1: What time is it? It's twelve fifteen. Don't do that. Accident
2: Let's go back to the car. Dogs don't cut teeth like this.
1: That hamlet's gonna be a bit. Stay in there.
0: Okay, that was the trailer for The Monster from 2016. Uh, The Monster was written and directed by Brian Bertino. It stars Zoe Kazan, Ellie Bellatine, Aaron Douglas, Christina Ibadi, uh, Mark Hickox, Scott Speedman, Chris Webb, and Miko the Wolf. Um, I gotta say, this is. One of my favourite films that I've seen recently. Um, I missed this on its initial release in 2016. Um, and it's a very simple story. You have a mother and daughter who must confront a terrifying monster when their car breaks down on a deserted road. Um, this is a v- excellent, excellent character piece. Um, I think it is, at times, it is incredibly claustro- claustrophobic the um of course this is from the director from the strangers um this i think zoe kazan gives a wonderful wonderful performance in this um she is very dislikable to start with um but as the film uh progresses um you see her character develop and grow and you know um Ella uh, Ballantine, um, please forgive me if I'm butchering your name, but again, gives a superb, superb performance. Um, yeah, of course, Aaron Douglas, people remember him from Battlestar Galactica, um, has got a role in this. He's very, very good when he pops up. I'm a big fan of his. Um, but what I must say is, see this film. Um, this is... It's emotional. Um, it's got some great, tense moments in it. It's um and it does it does creep up on you i absolutely thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this um the i can't sort of rave enough really about the performance of zoe kazan in this um it's available on uh dvd and a digital release as of the 8th of october so by the time this comes out it will already be out there it's get out there and see it i can't i don't want to give too much away from this one because this is a superb horror film um it's very very atmospheric it is full of dread and claustrophobia there is great 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 performances in this um i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it and for me this is a seven and a half out of ten okay Little cough there, sorry about that. <laughs> we have come to the end of another episode, ladies and gentlemen. We are creeping ever closer to our 50th episode. I know, I can't believe 50 episodes already. And you've put up with me for this long. <laughs> fools, fools. As always, um, I've got some shout outs and some... Big hellos to say. Um, of course, I want to always say hello to my glamorously gothy gal pals who are currently tearing it up on the convention circuit. Um, so that is C. L. Raven, guys. Get if you if you know that they're at one of the conventions, go over and see them, buy their books, get their merchandise because they're, they're they're a great pair, um, always entertaining, and I'm sure they're going to be back on the show very very soon. Of course, I want to big give a shout out to my brother from another mother, Mr. Leighton Winston. Uh, of course, I want to say hello to Slash a Trash, Gareth, who's going to be joining us very, very soon for our burning episode, along with my man, Jay Freddy Fenich on Twitter. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Of course, huge thank you to The Lethal One, Liam, for being on. Um, always a pleasure. Never a chore. Can't wait to get him back on. Always feel slightly cleverer when he's in the room. And I do feel that the show's IQ points go up because um, I don't drop as many F bombs or C bombs when he's around. <laughs> of course, I want to say a big shout out to Jeff and Al over a Cadavercast. Of course, Al is our sign off for every single episode. Great father and son team, superb podcast. Get yourselves over there. Um, of course, I want to say a huge thank you to um, Which PR. Um, who provided uh, some screeners for us to review for this episode? My good man, Alex Morris, um, over on Twitter, get over and follow him. Uh, and you know, also, a big shout out to Left Films. Make sure that you go to their website and you check out what they've got. They've got a great back catalogue and uh, library that they've got. Um, of course, it wouldn't be an episode where I say go over and check out the horror movie podcast uh, to Jay, Dr. Shock and, of course, Mr. Wolfman himself, Mr. Josh Laguerre. Um, of course, I want to say shout-out to Greg Mortis and his brand-new fiance over at Land of the Creeps. Congratulations, guys. I think I said so in the last episode, but if not, here it is. So, ladies and gentlemen, our time has drawn to an end, so that's all that's left for me to say in the immortal words of Count Dracula: Good night out there. Whatever you are.
2: This is Alpha Cadaver. Cuz you've been listening to the Undead Wookie. The back?